It was the bounce that reverberated around the world. A man no taller than a no standing sign with seemingly as much grace edged out his opponent, marked cleanly and seized the moment running 35 metres at full pace before executing a perfect right-footed drop punt that never looked like missing. And with it, the asterisk that's been hanging over season 2020 like a storm cloud over a picnic disappeared. And from the ashes, a new season, one in which we must judge like any other, without hubs or shortened quarters, without breaches and without Gabba Grand Finals. This is Pyre. Looking at Collingwood today, it's hard to imagine that this was one of the toughest suburbs in Melbourne. I have a magpie tattooed in a certain spot. I wouldn't say it's the biggest magpie getting around. Out of control brawl outside a Collingwood pub. 60 years ago, it was lined with boot factories. As gritty, grotty suburbs in prime locations turned into trendy hotspots. One's had five bounces, nearly get another one. He's the smartest guy on the team. You don't have too many to pick from. You've got to go back to Billy Graham at the MCG for an American to dominate like this. I still can't believe it. I can. Oh. The bubbles bursting three decades of grand final wobbles. A weekend order by the club of 288,000 cans to be consumed. More comfortable in the south. It's as close as you'll get to greatness, you peanut. Shut up. Good afternoon, Magpie fans, and uh, welcome back to Pie Hut. I'm Damien Miller, and joining me on the uh, last home in a way pod for the year is the mayor of East Collingwood, Alex Watkins. G'day, Alex. Great to be here, Damien. And of course, the Vic Park tragic himself, Jay Tarabo. Jay, excellent to have you back. Boys, great. Good to be back. Well, look, we've got a huge show. We've got lots to cover off, so we may as well jump into it. And it starts with Collingwood, surprisingly. Uh, finals bound, thanks in part to the return of one Jordan Degoe and, of course, Adam Trelaw, as well as the strut and box office bravado of Mason Cox and the pep and dash of Salt and Pepper, a.k.a. Noble and Quaynor, thrusting the team forward. But... With uh, Eddie Maguire unable to lobby the Queensland government uh, in order to get Steel side bottom north for his uh, baby's head wedding, and we will touch on that uh, in a in a little bit. Uh, with Howe officially ruled out this week with that knee uh, just not getting up and and essentially running out of time, and of course our boy Jaden, such as life Stevenson, in and out of the team, and we'll touch on that a little bit later as well. Do we have the team? that's going to take us all the way or is anything possible under a tropical Queensland asterisk sky? We're going to take you deep into Pyland to answer some of these unanswerable questions and deliver the cultural takes that only Piehard can. But let's start with the forwards and the impact of the death adder, a.k.a. Jordan the Snake Degoe and the phallically named one-eyed seven-foot Texan Mason Cox. Mm. I'll start with you, Alex. It was a big, big, big revival uh, in many ways uh, the uh, last week's game and it has us poised for another tilt at a uh, at an elusive premiership. What would you make of it? You bet it does, Damo. Suddenly there's a frisson of excitement in magpie land, which we probably haven't felt in earnest <laughs> for most of the season and 
certainly Jordan Dugowie is the main man responsible for that in conjunction with mm. the big man, Mason Cox. And I, I might just say how how beautiful it was to see a big, tall beanpole, the Roswell experiment himself, the alien yank, <laughs> come into some real form and link up um, and work so beautifully with the thick-headed snake, Jordan Dugowie. And there mm. was two moments in the game I noticed where Dugowie crumbed Cox to kick a goal and I just thought it was a beautiful illustration of what we've been missing. Essentially, Mm. I think we've been missing a big power forward who can reliably make that contest and we've been uh, missing an elite crummer and on those occasions, Dugowie played crummer. We know he can do pretty much anything on a football field and it was beautiful to see and um, look a lot of confidence from that. What do you think, Turbo? Uh, I've got one word. I've got one word. Structure. I think mm. it was the first time in maybe six or seven weeks that the team looked structured. And I know people go, oh, structure, it's so predictable, it's so boring. But, I mean, compared to what we've been doing, we just looked like we had a plan uh, you know, in the forward half of the ground for the first time in a couple of weeks. Demo? Yeah, it's what we it's it's a new it's a new word we've coined on um, Pie Hard, and it's unpredictable structure. Mm. So equal parts, um, you know, just a little bit of a straightening down the core, down the spine. But with uh, the admission of Jordan Degoy, anything's possible, and it just it has that. There's that duality, I guess, where uh, defenders and opposing teams really don't know what's going on when Jordan Degoy gets near the ball. Well, something's happening, but very, very hard to um, defend against. Uh, you can't put a, a medium-sized defender against Jordan to go. He's got to take someone big enough to, um, to hold the snake contained, mm. which, which then, obviously, with, with, which was the success of 2018, kind of frees up your cocks and your Maya checks and the swoop squad. So... It is, it is structure, but it's also a, a chaotic structure, if you will, that just, you know, turns us into a limp, flaccid, um, yeah, experiment into, into kind of like a weaponized mm. kind of anyone can bob up moment. And I think with, um, we'll, we'll touch on it, but with uh, our boy from Ferntree Gully back, fuck, we're looking dangerous. Do you think that Dugowie, given his potency in the last two matches he's played, um, he uh, obviously also pulled Geelong apart. Do you think that it's time to just decide that he's best deep forward? Because I know he has personal aspirations to play through the midfield as if as if playing as a midfielder is, is the only reliable way of franking your superstar status. Mm. But I just tend to think that actually if he plays as, as a genuine full forward out of the square with his power, his one-on-one work, his versatility, his ability to leap. Uh, we saw on the weekend, he, last weekend, he was able to, to apply some defensive pressure as well. He can get the ball on the ground, get the ball in the air. you just got to think that, gee whiz, he just needs to commit to that forward or Bucks needs to commit to that deep forward role for him. What do you think? Yeah, I think um, our issue is is scoring goals. That's that's been that's been the uh, the crux of of you know our undoing for the best part of this asterisk year, and I think if he's you know if he's the man and he is 
to, to bob up and kick four or kick five or kick bags mm. and no one else is doing it, then there is no other option. I think he, he has to be the man. We're not going to win without kicking a score. I know defense is, um, is the key to winning um, premierships and winning finals. And I don't think that that's our issue. I think we've no. got that one locked down. I think the, the problem is on the counter-attack um, scoring, but not just scoring, worrying forwards, as I said, and stopping that rebound turbo. I think also though now, like he's missed so many games that it's an easy sell. You know, you can be like, look, we need you to play up forward. You're coming back from a long-term injury. You know, maybe you don't have the tank for the midfield and and there's only a few games to go. So mm. perhaps, you know, he'll accept that knowing that, you know, there's next, next season's just around the corner. So the coaching staff could be like, hey, we we totally agree with you. We want you in midfield, but you know the season's pretty much over, so let's focus on it during the off season. But don't you think long term, long term, he should stay forward? That's a good question. I think that depends on who we recruit in the off season. That's my take, Turbo. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I mean, it's too, I, it's too soon. It's too soon to tell. But just looking at the rest of this season, uh, there's no reason for him to stay to go into the midfield. I just, I want to put, just put, just put your punter's hat on. All right, just, just. Imagine a, f- a far off land where the MCG is open and we can, we can stroll down Jolly Montway and, um, you know, have a smoke uh, on the way to the ground, have a, you know, smuggling a couple of cheeky rums or whatever, whatever have you take your seat. What do you want to see? You want to see goals. We want to see goals. Mm. We just want to see goals. And Dugowie is the guy that provides the goals and they're, they're generally pretty, uh, pretty exciting ones at that and uh, that's why you go to the football that's why you're watching an asterisk season you want to see the goals that's all anyone talks about after the game sure we could put to in the middle and he'd win a couple of those you know great 50 50 contested ball contests but i feel like elliot's stepped up in that regard he's taking that kind of brutish forward uh sorry that exciting kind of ground level mid um muscly kind of role just kick goals. We just want to see goals. That's that's what I think. I think this has been the whole issue um, with Stevenson's omission. Like there's talk with Stevenson about his forward pressure, his forward defensive pressure, and his tackling pressure, and that he's not, you know, laying his body on the line, and that he's looking a bit timid. I don't give a shit if he's kicking one or two or three goals in a game, and supplying, um, you know, the ball to the other forwards. That's his spot. That's his spot. Yeah, look, I think you're right, Damo, and I think the Magpie Army has been crying out to see the excitement that we know that Jaden can bring with his pace, his elusiveness, ability to find space. But he just hasn't seemed to be able to get the full confidence of the coaching panel, which we know now is just Nathan because everyone else has been fired. So... My theory on that is that we know from past Pie Hard podcasts that the player care package from Jaden's mm. mum was incredibly glucose heavy. And mm. um, I think maybe he has been going a little bit hard on the sugar at the start of games. And we need the mm. dietitian or Kevin White or whoever, whoever can mm. grapple with this issue to step in and potentially um, start to drip some of Jaden's glucose out throughout the match. Because if you mm. are going to chase if you are going to tackle, if you're going to have that defensive pressure throughout four quarters, and we know that he starts strong, but mm, he fades, mm. then you're going, to need, you're going to need an even distribution of sugar. 
if Jaden's if Jaden's going to eat all of those eighteen summer rolls, like that's going to impact his performance. However, if he spreads those eighteen summer rolls across the team and everyone has their one, then that's the sugar hit that's going to get us, you know, a long way deep into October Turbo. He needs he needs to eat all those summer rolls, but then he needs to get into the gym and turn it all into muscle because he looks he looks too light and he can't stick a tackle because he's just. I mean, I don't want to use the word weak in the. He's not weak in the sense of of going for the ball, but he's just he's just not strong enough um, when it comes to applying the pressure. Or I feel like he gets knocked off the ball a bit. Al, I think you're right, Turbo. But when you when you come back to the the important detail of what makes a footballer good, you can find that in Jaden's case on the ingredients list of the said Europe summer roll and. We know from for a fact um, from our background as sports nutritionists ourselves that hydrolyzed milk protein emulsifiers four seven one soy lysithin four seven six and gelatin are incredibly low release mm. glucosamines and so I think you're right, mm. Damien. Um, just the fact that he's into summer rolls in the first mm. place is a good start. If some of that sugar gets stuck in his teeth, and we know it will. Hopefully that'll be a slow release through the quarters. And look, it's why Jaden Stevenson's been up to all the activity uh, late night at the uh, at the hubs. Is this this energy surge, this power surge that he's getting from these Europa um, summer rolls? They're hitting too late. They're hitting around midnight, and that's when he's getting in trouble. <laughs> what we need, we need less of this slow release, uh, this this endorphin rush uh, mm. at midnight when the uh, when we know the Gold Coast comes alive. We need we need this stuff hitting at what seven ten. Are you suggesting a, a summer roll in the mouth means a summer roll in the pants? <laughs> Let's just say we've all uh, we've all shared a summer roll with uh, with with someone in the past, and it's uh, and it's led to um, a dalliance. I'll let I'll let your imagination run wild with that turbo, but I would love to talk about Jaden Stevenson all night. But we should touch base on Mason Cox. Mm. Now we've uh, we've hinted at the fact that structure has opened up the door to Mason finding form. However, there was an article today that we were reading um, that kind of piqued our interest a little bit. And, and basically it was an interview with Mason Cox. You mad Collingwood fans out there would have devoured this like you do all the other media out there. But um, essentially for the best part of this season, Mason Cox has been playing with one eye. Now we understand, we know that last year he had that issue with the eye that um, effectively snubbed out the remainder of his season, but that has continued on into 2020 into the asterisk year because of an inability to find the right contact lens and medicinal um, uh, care, I guess it's needed for that one eye. Now we believe uh, having called Mason before the podcast that that has been sorted. So, Effectively, what we're saying is the form that's been displayed by Mason Cox earlier in the year that had him in and out of the team and um, a lot of people questioning his merits and placing the side is down to continued eye issues, which are now, we believe, sorted. And, of course, we saw the fruits of a two-eyed Cox um, last week. And, of course, it sets the scene for tomorrow night's game against Port Adelaide to see if he can... um, if he can uh, pull it together. But I know a lot of our listeners will agree that, you know, two eyes are better than one in a football sense. So I haven't seen this article, Damien. Has he come out or has anyone come out and kind of explicitly blamed the eye troubles for some of his struggles or is that just an an inference you're making? 
Uh, he was quick to, in the article, uh, he was quick to kind of not use that as an excuse. Mm. Um, but clearly, I mean, that was pretty significant surgery that, that he had. And I guess there was just an assumption. He, he actually made, he made a, a, a reference point about the, this because obviously this was the first two games were played at the MCG, about the LED lighting at the MCG were was flaring mm. in his left eye. So uh, it's been less of an issue now that they're not playing at the MCG, but apparently he was, you know, even halfway through the year, effectively playing, basically staring into the sun at all times. <laughs> You'd think, you know, <laughs> if they had have publicised his ailment, there'd be plenty of one-eyed pie supporters who'd be willing to give their only remaining eye to help Mason succeed. <laughs> and it's a shame it didn't happen earlier because when it did happen, and evidently they've got the eye right in recent times, um, he just looked like a bit of a monster. And he, he not a one-eyed monster, a two-eyed monster, and he was able to run, launch at the ball. It's well-documented. We all saw it. He's such a confidence player, and when he gets that, that swagger, that that kind of belief in his own ability. I just think that the maybe what he's missing is the Magpie Army singing the uh, USA chant because I know that kept mm. him going early years. It was a big thing and we just haven't had that kind of excitement around Mason, but um, he might have timed his run very well. We love a big American sports celebration. Um, it's something that hasn't always been part of uh, the Australian game, but you know what? It, what it, it means that Mason Cox is firing. Uh. So anybody, anybody that has an issue with Mason Cox having the chatter or, you know, silencing the crowd or beating the chest or the big Captain America type celebrations, ladies and gentlemen, He's up. He's 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 winning. We if if we see that in a game, it means it means we're on fire, Turbo. Could this mean that potentially he played his first few seasons on instinct and the crowd noise, so he couldn't actually see the whole time, but he just had the he was using <laughs> his ears. Uh, You're saying he was blind. He was, You're saying he was, he was blind, blind for the first two yes. years. Interesting. And when he was having his shots for goal. You know the the feet, the feet running. He knew the ball was coming. Just just like a, a wonder, like a Beethoven um, esque um, football player. I think we could do a full pod on whether um, a player could kick a goal blind in um, in modern asterisk football. I think there's something to um, to look into there. But for the moment, for the best part, we have Mason Cox with two working eyes. Now, if you like football themed social accounts that rip old photos of Collingwood from Getty images and credit them as their own, then you are going to love our socials. So check us out on Insta and the worst social platform known to man, Twitter. Uh, we are at Pie Hard Podcast and make sure you subscribe to Pie Hard Podcast mm. on iTunes and Spotify to get a fortnightly serve of delicious pie hard content now moving the the show along we've been loving the personalized emails that we've been receiving from the players now a few of you have uh, reached out and got in touch with us about the player emails and for pie hard to take a bit of a pie hard look into these emails but for you guys al and turbo for for you guys that haven't seen these emails for some reason you don't seem to be getting them i thought i'd read out one yeah and might play a little fun game of uh, guess the footballer. So there should be a few clues in the way that this is written, just about the general, you know, 
um, the IQ level, the way it's written, you know, the, the turn of phrases. So, well, that, that could be a giveaway, but you know, you're going to find very quickly that it's, you know, you, you know, it's, it's, it's a very well written piece. So, all right. I've got 42 guesses now. <laughs> okay, let's go. It's, it's heartening to know that in a crisis, the majority of us are prepared to give up so much for the greater good. Putting a pause on football hasn't been easy or much fun. It has mostly felt weird, but that is true of life at the moment for all of us. Who knew jigsaws would become so popular again? Without them, I occasionally feel slightly adrift. I miss the anticipation that builds through a week, the drive to the G on game day, the moment we gather before busting out to the ground to hear your roars and most of all, the knackered euphoria we are all experiencing after a win, player, coach and fan alike. I reckon there will be a celebration of the game of life when the pandemic that has us all in lockdown is over. We will appreciate just a little bit more the lives we enjoyed pre-COVID-19 and the fact that we stayed connected and together during this unprecedented time will be something to be proud of. Thank you for your love and support of our club. That's beautiful, actually. Mm. I've got to say, I, I read, I read that and um, had to uh, just uh, regale myself for a second, walk outside, and just uh, clear the throat. But do you guys want to take a guess at uh, which pie penned that Odyssey? It's a heartwarming. Uh, it's a heartwarming message, uh, to say the least. Uh, especially during those difficult times. Um, but I think this is part of the uh, seven-year, $50 million contract uh, that was rewarded to Brody mm. as one of the things that uh, must be done on the side. Uh, so I'm going with uh, number four. Okay, Al. Al? I was going to say it sounds like a Bob Murphy column in The Age, that big picture mm. kind of lyricism. But if mm. it's not Brody, which I think was a good guess, Turbo, it's got to be Darcy Moore because they're both our more cerebral end of the spectrum. What do you got? Yeah, well, it, uh, it was signed one Geordie to goey. Get oh. um, That's been ghostwritten. Yeah, I did, I did think that, um, you know, Jordan had maybe done some work on his penmanship uh, over the offseason, but... Yeah, beautifully well written. So obviously when you get an email like that from a player uh, that takes the time out to uh, not only sit down and pen um, an, mm. an email of that length and to send it through to you that, you know, it means a lot. And uh, I, I did hit reply um, and did pen a, um, a note back to Jordan. However, it, uh, it did bounce. So I'm just looking into that with the uh, Collingwood Football Club because I think it does warrant a, a response to Jordan personally and we're just trying to set that up. If you want to get to Jordan, you've got to go through his dad, I think. Isn't that right? <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> It's pretty strange that the guy that just had uh, hand surgery was able to write such a beautiful note. That's crazy. I can't believe it was Jordan Degoe. And that has to be ghostwritten by the club media people. I mean, that is not his... It's just got a fundamental problem with voice. Like... You know, you know when you read a shit novel, they get the voice mm. wrong, and um, that's not Jordan's voice. <laughs> that's the voice yeah. of a you know nineteenth-century period drama. Was there a beautiful signature as well, like put in there? No, in the there was email? just there was just a sign off of Geordie. Um, no signature. Well, we're waiting for him to sign, but it's taking sweet time. Pie Hut on socials is a little like Jeff Walsh's beard. It's a bit weird, but strangely alluring. So be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pie Hard Podcast and make sure you subscribe to Pie Hard Podcast on iTunes and Spotify so you never miss an episode. Big news uh, last week in Pie Land with the announcement that 
oh, pie hard favorite, Isaac Quainer had uh, secured the round. Is it round 17? I don't even know what round it is. The last week's um, rising star nomination. Mm-hmm. Um, 17. Played a fantastic game and obviously deserved of the nom. Alex, you've been watching this one closely. We love pepper and we love salt. And uh, we feel like we've got a great main course. We've almost got a degustation of flavours <laughs> in the mm. club. Mm. Uh, we've got terrific back line and uh, midfield. And, uh, you know, forward line's starting to come together. But just a little bit of seasoning on that delicious uh, mm. meal, a bit of pepper and salt, as we know, that's mm. um, Queen Or and uh, John Noble, um, is mm. just delicious. It just brings out those flavours. And certainly... Yeah. Um, a little bit of MSG in the, MS, in the MCG. Yes. Well, no need to be racist. We do like Chinese food, but don't have any Asian players <laughs> at this stage. But we do have Quainor, and he's a star in the making. And um, we're certainly um, incredibly excited about what he is bringing to the table. Mm, um, yum. Look, I think we can jump straight into the purpose of this segment is the Rising mm. Star quiz. Um, mm. I'm going to give you guys... Um, it's going to be a quick-fire quiz. I expect answers to be uh, forthcoming uh, within, let's say, five to seven seconds of the question being asked. Okay. Question one for the Rising Star quiz commemorating Isaac Quainor's uh, nomination. In round 17, Quainor gathered 17 disposals against the Gold Coast and he racked up A, 290 metres gained, B, 372 metres gained, C, 510 metres gained. Turbo. The second one. Correct. 372 metres gained from that beautiful, is it a left hoof or is he right-footed? Both. Oh, he's exquisite on both sides of his body. Mm. Yeah. Earlier in the season, Quainor missed three games with a gruesome leg injury. Who was the player who lacerated Quainor's shin from the Sydney Swans? <laughs> Time's up, boys. It was Sam Wicks. <laughs> Of the Sydney Swans. Mm. Now, Piehard oh, broke the story about um, Piehard broke the story about what boots Wicks was wearing that day when mm. when he uh, mangled Quainor's leg. Was it the Adidas Predator nineteen point one, or the Nike Air Razor Dagger Shiv Blade Max Pro? <laughs> uh, yes, I'll answer that one. I think it was the one we made up, and it was the uh, Air Max Razor Dagger Shiv Hatchet Blade Pro. <laughs> Bing! Yeah. Correct. Naming rights to the award, uh, the Rising Star Award, that is, were originally owned by which brand? Oh, yeah, I got this one. Damien. Norwich? Is it Norwich? Correct. Bing! Yes. Uh, it was called one, yes. the Norwich Rising Star until which year? Yes. Jesus, you've really done your homework on this. I'll, 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 take, <laughs> I'll take a stab on this. 1999. I'm going to go 2012. Oh, right in the middle of those two guesses. 2005. In 1994, Collingwood had two Rising Star nominees. Which of the two kicked a total of three goals over 22 games for the club? Was it John Hassel or Kent Butcher? I'm going to go Butcher. He was seemed a better player. I thought he had great hope. Bing! Butcher. John Hassel. Hey, actually, 24. Well, John Hassel played 50 games and kicked 12 goals for the club compared to Butcher's 22 games and three goals. So actually Hassel was the better player, if you if you believe that. 
And which um, which of the two now trains thoroughbred racehorses with partner Kate Goodrich in Kilmore, Victoria? Ooh, great question. And I would say that that is also Kent Butcher. Bang, bang. John Hassel. Hassel. In the racing game. In 2002, Nick Rewalt won the rising star ahead of Judd, Hodge and Sean Burgoyne. Which Magpie nominee polled the most votes in the award that year? Was it Jason Cloak, Mark McGough or Alan Didak? I'm going to go Cloak because he kind of burst onto the scene. Jason, not Travis, but, right? Uh, no, Jay, yeah, Jason was, was good. Like, I felt like Jason was good for like his first season and then he fell away. But uh, Travis kind of came on a bit longer. Great guess, Turbo. That's terrific. Um, yeah. You wouldn't say he reached the the kind of heady heights of the, the Norwich Rising, Store, uh, Rising Star Award. He polled a total of three votes behind <laughs> the winner, Rewalch, <laughs> 34. But it was still more votes than Mark McGough and Alan Didek, so... <laughs> There you go. Okay, and rounding things out, we're going to finish with a Who Am I? I'm a magpie who was nominated for the Rising Star Award in 997. And um, please just chime in when you think you have the answer. Mm. I ended my career with more premierships than any other magpie ever nominated. I was trying... Uh, yep. Damien. I'll, I'll have a go. Mel, Mel Michael. Correct. <laughs> Nailed it. That's terrific <laughs> stuff. So I've got a whole bunch more questions here about the Norwich slash NAB Rising Star, but we're going to move on because Quainor's at one end of the spectrum. He's got a fantastic uh, trajectory to become a great magpie, but at the other end of the spectrum, a bit older, but still within that window of prime, is uh, one we know and love, still side bottom now. Turbo, you've got some news on steel. Yeah, so Saturday we saw the uh, the amazing news from Nathan uh, early in the day that Steel was making his uh, triumphant return uh, to the to the hub, and someone had uh, worked their magic and managed to get him back into Queensland. And like everyone, you know, we're all excited. All the fans are excited. The asterisk is off, and, and we're back as a team. But then. Everything got shot down like an hour later. And before we know it, nothing's happening and still staying home and probably staying home and being a good father uh, with his uh, newborn daughter. So I don't know, something seems a bit fishy. You know, why would you come out and make the announcement that he's coming back? And then all of a sudden, bam, uh, he's not. So the, I want to throw it to you guys. And I want to know what what do you think really happened here? As someone who has a couple of kids, this sounds like um, Steele had made a decision without actually informing his life partner. Uh, and uh, it had come back to haunt him in spectacular fashion. Um, he'd received a text message <laughs> shortly after the Nathan Buckley press conference <laughs> saying, what, what the fuck are you doing? Uh, it's off. But no, I think in all seriousness, for me, this is... I'm looking squarely at one man, and that man is Eddie Maguire. Mm. Now, we put up with a lot, uh, you know, with Eddie Maguire as our president, and we've gone into that, and we're not going to go into it again, and we are pro-Maguire on this podcast, but obviously it comes with a lot of baggage. But one thing Eddie Maguire delivers on constantly is that backroom dealing. Mm. You know, it, whether it's whether it's a 10-year a extension on an Emirates partnership or a 
CGU uh, contract, uh, sponsorship contract, or it's convincing a player to come back by wiping off some severe gambling debts. It's it's that manoeuvring that Eddie Maguire does in the halls of parliament that you just know, you know, you don't read about, but you know behind the scenes you've got one of the best, um, you know, diplomats in the game working for you. Mm-hmm. And yes, true, logistical nightmare. Um, there was discussions around uh, the family having to go via South Australia or the Northern Territory and how that would work. And But surely um, for a man like Maguire, the uh, simple task of smuggling a man baby and wife across two state borders um, would be an easy feat, surely, Al. Mm. Yeah, well, it just begs the question, where's Mockbell and all this? Because um, <laughs> we, we should have been lining up that mega yacht months mm. ago. Mm. As soon as, I mean, we knew yeah, what, lot, isn't it? by definition, we knew nine months ago this, this could have been a problem. And so mm. it speaks to a lack of planning. And I've got to say, the moment I my optimism for the situation shifted was when they started talking about the Northern Territory hub Mm, as a way of circumventing or speeding up the process. Or maybe it was just because in the Northern Territory hub you could do a bit more exercise than if you were Mm. in a hotel room in Queensland. And the descriptions of the hub, well, they weren't too flattering. There was no Jeff Walsh, like Twin Waters kind of, you know, beauty about it. Uh, it. It seemed like it was, well, it was, it was built, or you most recently used as a refugee camp. And <laughs> it was a human cent- human centipede of hubs, wasn't it? It was a hub with oh, a hub. Look. And I think it had a moat, probably crocodile-infested <laughs> moat, so that the uh, detainees couldn't um, mm, yeah. escape. And I just thought couldn't. we were up against it from that moment just in terms mm. of convincing a new father um, to go through that, to leave, leave his newborn baby uh, and his wife, to go through that kind of difficulty... Um, and then, of course, the question of whether we may be playing West Coast, complicated things, because then there's another layer of quarantine, which is quite difficult to navigate. So we kind of reached a, an end point, which I suppose we could have predicted. Um, but it's no it's no less disappointing. I mean, I am genuinely disappointed. Turbo? I have put together a plan uh, for Steel, and I've figured out a way to, uh, to get him back on. So we hopefully... Uh, you know, none of the uh, law enforcement Queensland officers uh, are fans of the show. But if there's one person in Queensland uh, who has got a pass uh, to enter the, and leave the state, it's the one and only Clive Palmer. Mm. Okay. So mm-hmm. at the moment, as we speak, Steele is getting facial augmentation surgery, mm. right? Clive Palmer has left the state. Uh, Eddie's paid him off. And Clive Palmer is going to ingest still side bottom, okay, go back over the border and then regurgitate him. Wow. And then and then we will have a surprise first player, which will actually be Lazy Mo, but it's really still side bottom. Wow. So he transmogrifies okay. into Lazy Mo in Clive Palmer's stomach. In the womb, yeah. In the womb. Oh, I like it. like it a lot. Is still the difference between success and failure in it? high-pressure, slippery Queensland final series, Damo? Uh, Absolutely, yep. If we were sitting in the top four with a second chance and going better than we were, um, and I'd say we had a fit and firing Jeremy Howe, I think there's some coverage there. But let's face it, um, this year has been a challenge both on and off the field. 
And I just feel like for us to um, give ourselves a really good crack at it this year, um, we would need all of our best players. I'm, I'm talking about our top five, you know, up and firing and to have, you know, it does hurt to have uh, a fit steel side bottom sitting back in Melbourne under curfew, watching it on uh, television, listening to the shocking commentary that we're all fed. Oh, geez, that pains. It does hurt, but I've got a slightly different take on it. I actually think that this year, for various stints, we've been forced to do without side bottom because of, you know, the Williamstown dilemma. Um, mm. We've also been forced to do without Pendles, and for years now there's been that kind of duality of, um, you know, that kind of partnership of Pendles and Sidey holding up, you know, those key pillars within our midfield. And I think actually not having those players for parts of the year has forced us to potentially grow in other ways. And that growth didn't come in a linear fashion. We we, we weren't able to cover them necessarily um, immediately. But I think it asks questions of the list. And both those players getting on a bit, especially Pendles, I think it's it's a good opportunity for growth to be able to say, look, we need to be able to cover these types of blokes. And mm-hmm. um, there are some younger types that, that need to stand up. And we've seen Taylor Adams stand up brilliantly all year. Um, but some of the younger blokes, I think, um, you know, this is an opportunity. And that's the way I'd like to look at it until, uh, of course, um, we lose a big final and call it all an asterisk again. <laughs> yeah, of course. Look, and I understand that. And um, we are, you know, we're glass half full here at Piha, But just once, just once, I would love to have our best team available. Mm-hmm. We see it all the time with Geelong. We see it all the time with Richmond. We see it with West Coast. We just, we keep, we keep hoping. I, I think you're right. It's great to, um, it's great when a player goes down that someone has the opportunity to step up, but Jesus, our, this window that we've been talking about for three or four years now, or since 2018, it's a small window. It's not huge. It's not. It's not a. It's not a big stained glass job down at the old Lexus Centre. It's a. Um, it's more of your uh, your porthole uh, type setup. So I'm just concerned. I'm. I'm worried. I'm. I'm worried that this is potentially another year um, where we miss our shot. And let's face it. We're not. We're not on the. Our trajectory is not on the rise. We are. We are leveled off. We are plateaued. And there's only. There's only one way from here. And I just don't think we've got that much depth, to be honest, especially in the midfield. Like, who, who's, a, who's our backup midfielder waiting in the wings to, to come into the team? And, or, you know, you know when, when you're a really good team and, and you're, you know, grand final bound and there's three or four players you know that are just can't crack the team but would get a spot on any other team? I just I don't see that with us at the moment, especially in the midfield. Rupert Wills. Yep. <laughs> yeah look i mean look the at 2010 blush. that's a really that's a that's a really good point turbo like if you look at the 2010 side and it's i hate going back a decade but you know you had steel side bottom who was what 18 or 17 or 18 or whatever you had dane beams you had this injection of youthful and- energy through the center and we're just you know fast forward 10 years like who who are our side bottoms and beams is and, coming through and in and in 2010, it was like, who didn't play? Like Lockyer. There was a, there was a bunch of players, you know, that, that had played uh, consistently for the last 10 years and got pushed out of the team 
uh, in that year that you knew were reliable and you could call on them. But mm. Obrey, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think Obrey was another one. So like now it's like, I don't know. I can't even name, I can't think yeah. of a, a walk-up starter in the midfield. Yeah, who's, you know? who's pushing Who's pushing these? Like they're getting opportunities. That's that's fair. But, you know, who's who's pushing these guys off, you know, off their mantle? Who's like, who's coming up behind them at a rate of knots? And if you have a bad game you know, you're out. There's, there's none of that. We're, we're plugging gaps again. And that's, that's my concern with this team over the last three or four years. It's, it's, um, it's, uh, it's dutiful. It's, um, you know, you love to see it when, you know, a player goes down, someone else steps up and you love the opportunities to new kids coming through, but you know, that's not going to win you a premiership in my eyes. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a memorable couple of weeks for our beloved captain. And this week he, uh, he smashes through two, long-standing records and becomes the game's record holder for the club. Oh, yeah. Passing 1991's King of Moomba, Tony Shaw. And unless mysteriously dropped or injured, which we can confirm is not happening, will become the longest-serving captain, uh, breaking the current record of coach Nathan Buckley. So we at Pie Hard look back on on the uh, finest moments of Scott Pendlebury's career and ask the question about how much longer we can expect Pendlebury to continue wearing the black and white. But I thought it would be a good way to a fitting way to end the show this week to um, throw it out to you, you, you two gentlemen and uh, maybe get from you your your most memorable Pendlebury moment and that can be on and off the field. There's one record that, uh, that Pendlebury broke uh, a long time ago uh, and it was the most players as captain with dreadlocks. Oh. So... Remember, mm. I don't know when it was. It would have been rusty oh, years. Yeah, I mean, he's been playing for such a long time now. But uh, but Pendlebury's dreadlock phase uh, was probably coincided with his uh, his strongest phase uh, as a player. But I mean, he has had a great career. I mean, what I've loved about Pendlebury is, is he's adapted to the game. You know, he came into the team. He was very thin, uh, lanky. He didn't play many games uh, in his first season. Um, but then he really got big. I don't know if you remember, he kind of bulked up, uh, and now he's kind of, uh, he's skimmed back a bit, big uh, arms I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and he's just adapted to the game. And I mean, I don't know about you guys, but, uh, it'd be interesting to see, uh, he, he hasn't slowed down. I don't think. We all know he has all that time and space. I mean, it's like a broken record hearing commentators say how he makes the game slow down. And it's true, and that's that is what we love about him. And I think that therein lies the secret to his longevity potentially, is that he doesn't rely on burst pace, aka like a Patrick Dangerfield, to burst from packs. He has an elusive quality from his basketball background, which means that he's not a pace-oriented player. He's a creative, elusive, um, you know, sidestepping style player who. I think might be able to play for longer because he's not reliant on that pace. And I'm hoping that's the mm. case. I'm hoping, I'm hoping he's got more than two years ahead of him after this, mm. um, after this year. So I'm hoping he's playing in his mid thirties. And I think that he's, he's every chance demo. The most memorable moment for me of Scott Pendlebury was actually seeing Scott Pendlebury playing alongside Dane Swan, because I felt like watching those two players, you had, you had two just completely contrasting mm. footballers. You had mm. 
Dane Swan that like moved like he had a busted spine, <laughs> um, couldn't bend over, like would waddle, was like really thick. Low leg lift. Bow-legged, but, you know, was always where the ball was and, and you know, was obviously a, a class act. And then on the other side, you had Pendlebury, who was the smooth-moving, silk, you know, fluid kind of footballer that, you know, the the ball was – a natural extension of his, of his body and just had that maneuverability. And I, I feel like they both should be celebrated, but ultimately on pie hard, we love to see, you know, the players that just, you know, make your jaw fall to the floor and look beautifully, look beautiful and look poetic and look like a, an oil painting when they play. And for us, that's, that's Scott Pendlebury. And I think it's highlighted by the, uh, you know, it's not often talked about, but the uh, 2011 NAB cup grand final, um, where Collingwood thumped Essendon uh, in a march. I think it was in, yeah, when was it? At Etihad Stadium um, in front of 45,000 people. No finer example of Scott Pendlebury at his finest than a, uh, a preseason cup, NAB cup fixture oh, uh, at Etihad. It's, it's, always, it's, always, uh, it's always great when you can dig deep into the uh, to the preseason games. <laughs> and was wearing the dreadlocks. And was wearing the dreadlocks at the time. So it's a bit of a double feature, that one. Fans fans of NAB cup football. Will, uh, Norm Smith medal, three Anzac medals, um, you know, games record holder, longest captain. And you've dug out the preseason uh, 2012 mm. uh, win. But, look, I think that the whole debate about best magpie ever is only going to heat up in the next couple of years. And I believe that if he's able to secure another premiership um, with the Pies, I think that um, it would put him clear, clearly above uh, any other magpie, certainly in our lifetimes, um, in my opinion, just from that resume. Um, and I think that, yeah, we're going to see more from Scott and look, let's be honest, we're all just gagging for one more flag to mm. um, come out of this, this generation of players, hopefully under Scott's leadership, Damo. Yeah. Uh, well, look, as a Collingwood footballer, he's, he's basically achieved it all. I think the only thing that he hasn't really nailed so far is a really serious off-field indiscretion. Now, at Piehard, you basically haven't made it as a Collingwood footballer before you've either been arrested or charged with some serious offence. Uh, so, look, he, he's not finished yet. There's still a couple of years for a potential uh, pub brawl and or drink driving offence. Uh, and I think that would just round out the crown of Scott Pendlebury um, and, and maybe just, you know, like remove some of that, you know, good guy sheen which you know doesn't really sit well with collingwood footballers these days but i think that's uh that's a, a really good way to end the show what i will do um before we go we obviously are recording this episode on a cold lockdown sunday evening uh results of the games have come through the bulldogs comfortably uh winning against freeman which sets up I guess an interesting uh, conundrum for Collingwood tomorrow, and it is thus win against uh, the second-placed Port Adelaide Power, and I think we catapult up to sixth. Is that right? And we play St Kilda? Well, we just need to win. But a loss does send us west um, to our old foe, uh, the West Coast Eagles, in that elimination final. So thoughts, thoughts um, thoughts on a potential game over in the west? My thoughts are, spin, are swinging around on this. I, I've i been thinking all week it would be a disaster to go west, not only because they've got the woodness, we can't seem to combat their their talls. They've got knick-knack back from, you know, last time, uh, last great final we dead. played. Uh, he's playing very well. And 
and also the quarantine situation with Mark McGowan being a colonel. I mean, people talk about mm. Dictator Dan, but um, they don't talk about... Um, Militant Mark. Militant Mark. So I was looking for some kind of alliteration there. But I'm actually swinging around on this. I'm thinking, look, in this asterisk season, which, as we know, has been an asterisk and a non-asterisk uh, week on week, potentially maybe this is the time to confront our demons yeah. and maybe a backs-to-the-wall uh, win over a fancied opposition on their home deck, a.k.a. 2002 Adelaide Oval, Ben Johnson tackling Burgoyne mm. in the goal square and upsetting the McClellan Trophy winners, potentially going to West and playing West Coast is that kind of backs-to-the-wall travel yeah. moment which we we might actually uh, lap up and finally get over that hurdle. What do you think? Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on that. I think I think there's two parts to this. The first part is hub life isn't really agreeing with us. So get on the bus, head to the jet, fly to West Coast, get out of that Twin Waters. We're done with Twin Waters. It's 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 we need to Sorry, we need to get ourselves out of that environment. It's it's groundhog day. Head over to West Coast, freshen up. And I think the second point is think about the schoolyard bully, right? Like if you're being bullied by this team, they've, they've got the wood over you, you can run or you can face it. And mm. I think we're at that point where we go into the, into the bowels of hell. Mm, we head beast. over to Optus, Optus Stadium where it's very poorly built. You can't put your beer down. You, you basically put your beer in the seat in front of you and as soon as the guy in front sits down, the beer spills over. So it's a, it's a, it's a hideously designed stadium over there. <laughs> um, but we, um, we go there and we face the enemy head on mm. and exercise the demons because if we don't, we're just running. And I think any talk of playing the Bulldogs or St. Kilda is just, is just hiding from, um, you know, a, a, a fate that we do eventually need to, um, to, you know, tackle head on. I love the, uh, I love the, uh, I love the emotion and I love the passion guys, but uh, I'd rather travel the least, least path of resistance um and uh and take 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 the win over the uh finals less St Kilda and uh and worry about it after that. Mm. I mean, okay, but if so we that's, do get no, that's good. If we do get over there and we do win, uh then then you know watch 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 for the herd to uh to jump on board and and we'll be right up there with the flag. Okay, so that's official so um Alan Damo, we want to we want to head west and and take on the opponent. And Turbo loves his uh, his balls oiled and dipped in um, dipped in lube uh, in preparation for a steamy, hot, sticky Queensland encounter with a uh, with a Victorian middleweight uh, team. And boy, does John Noble have some very sore nipples after being milked <laughs> of that baby oil to lube those balls. Uh, oh God, this. Is pie hard.